Hi guys, this is Berkeley Lukish and this is Brooke Gamble and today we're going to be talking about the comparison of the American Revolution and today's current Hong Kong. And what's the question we're going to be using today? Who has the greater right to revolution? So we are going to give y'all three main points for each nation slash revolution and so you can form your own opinion about it and Berkeley is going to start us off with the colonist reasons. One, the first reason for revolution from the colonists was taxation without representation, specifically the Stamp Act of 1765, which was when the parliament decided to start taxing the colonists for any paper goods that they were selling in the colonies. Specifically, the taxes were on cards, envelopes, um, newspapers, anything that was paper that was being sold. This was the first time that the parliament taxed something anything in the new world and it did not go over easy next would be um, economic exploitation specifically mercantilism the navigation acts and the townshend crisis Uh, mercantilism was when the colonies would produce raw materials and then end up shipping them over to the mother country england who would manufacture the goods to send them back to the colonies to be sold, so everything was sent and then back, and it was a whole triangle thing. It was, it was, don't worry about it. (laughs) And then after that was the Navigation Acts, which was when goods from the colonies had to be on British ships. Everything was on British ships. It had to be on a British ship to be sold in the colonies. And then back and forth, except the only raw materials colonies could sell to England were sugar, cotton, tobacco, and wood. After that would be the Townshend Crisis, which was what uh, imposed duties or taxes on China, glass, lead, paint, paper, and tea imported to the colonies. So at this point, by the end of this, everything was had taxes on it. That did not leave the colonists very happy. Um, and then lastly was the settlement restrictions in the native conflict, um, starting with Pontiac's Rebellion, which was when the tribe led by Pontiac sent in his tribe to attack English settlements in the New World, and that led to the proclamation line, or that actually led to the French and Indian War. And then led to the Proclamation Line of 1763, which King George III decided to not let his colonies continue to go west past the Appalachian Mountains to avoid conflict with the Indians. And then lastly was King Philip's War, who was actually Medicom, who made... Um, He, I feel like they had a peaceful coexistence... Yeah, for a while, and then they ended up, he ended up betraying them. Well, was it the other way supposedly around? he accused, um, I'm pretty sure, the Englishmen of killing two of his tribes. Yes, Or two people in his tribes. Yes, and then that, obviously, not very happy about that. They ended up fighting, and then Medicom was beheaded, <laughs> and his head... No, I don't know. No, he was beheaded. <laughs> I just didn't like that you laughed, Berkeley. <laughs> 
panicking at this point. Um. <laughs> Anyways, guys, Medicom very devastatingly was beheaded. Ooh. And then his head was displayed on a pole at Plymouth for 25 years to set an example to any natives that wished to rebel. And that is the end of the colonists' reasons. So do you want to discuss why we think these were leading causes? Yes, um, these were leading causes because all of these things were new to the colonists. After solitary neglect that the English kind of pushed away the new world and expected them to be able to survive on their own, coming in with all of this suddenly did not leave them very happy as I mean who would like that so it led to just lots of disgruntlement between the colonists and the mother country especially after all of these taxes and restrictions and of course it ended in revolution as it should have yeah okay guys the next segment is going to be diving into Hong Kong and everything that's going on there right now and then lastly, we're going to discuss the comparison of the two and why Brickley and I came to the decision that we did. Okay, so let's get into, um, not to be insensitive, but let's get into the mess that is Hong Kong right now. So starting with context, the handover deal. For 99 years, Hong Kong was British's, British, like the biggest colony the British had. And then in 1997, they handed over Hong Kong back to China. I know. They had all this British influence for 99 years. Because following the Opium War, Mm -hmm. British was not so much gifted Hong Kong. Because back then, it was just like this little island off the coast. But they were gifted Hong Kong. And they had Hong Kong for 99 years. And then they gave it back in 1997. So... There's problems. There's problems, guys. So, um, the only reason that this was honestly able to happen was because they, Hong Kong was guaranteed 50 years of independence, which was going to end in 2047. Um, but naturally, the way China operates, the way China thinks, they are very much trying to speed that process up. So, number one for Hong Kong reasons for revolution is going to be brainwashing and propaganda. Two prime examples are, or I guess one prime example and a response to it, is national education pushed by C.Y. Lang. Um, is basically a pro-patriotic education. Doesn't give a great well-rounded view of the world, of what's going on. It's more a very China-centric view and a China-positive view, which may not always be accurate so in response to that there was scholarism scholarism was a protest of national education which led to stuff like occupy central and the umbrella movement and it was led by joshua wong and agnes chow who fun fact was dubbed as the real mulan by her fans um so they fought it and they were actually the first movement or the first protest to ever achieve their goal since I don't know. I don't know if it was the first one or the first one in a while, but it was it was big and they were like 15, 16 at the time. So the next reason for revolution that we're going to cover is corrupt slash unjust judicious judicial system. (laughs) So examples of this was the 2019 extradition bill. 
which led to the infamous 2019 Hong Kong protests. Basically, a Hong Kong man and his pregnant girlfriend went to Taiwan, and only one of them came back. It was the man. So, (laughs) the man came back, but where was his girlfriend? Sorry about that little interruption, guys. Um, My dog gets very rowdy sometimes, but anyways... A man and his pregnant girlfriend went to Taiwan, and then when they came back, it was just the man, his wife, or his girlfriend, was still in Taiwan. Um, actually, she was dead, so, spoiler alert, um, he killed his, uh, girlfriend in Taiwan, but he could not get in trouble for it, because he was a Hong Kong resident, and he lived in Hong Kong, and he came back in Hong Kong. Um, so, basically, the government was trying to pass a bill where they could um they could make hong kongers be tried in like taiwan like wherever they had committed the crime but if they did this this would also allow china to bring hong kongers from hong kong to mainland china for trial let me just let y'all ponder the um just or the justness of that or the judicial morals of that given china's past um yeah so naturally hong kong went very crazy over it and they protested for six months straight really um and also another example of unjust judicial system was nathan law being removed from legislative council nathan law was a big player in scholarism and domicisto which were activist groups in Hong Kong, pro-democracy. And Nathan Law, he actually got elected in, I think it was 2016, um, not 1,000% sure. He got elected into legislative council in Hong Kong, and he was actually the youngest person to ever be elected onto Hong Kong legislation. And he got removed in, I think about two years later, because the way he said his speech whenever he was sworn in was... Um, deemed disrespectful the tone of his speech so that is just an example of corrupt and unjust systems in Hong Kong and then lastly and then lastly the lack of representation and extreme suppression so after these six straight months of protesting China of course um, China and Hong Kong of course tried to oppress the protesters They did what they could, they tried what they could, but largely, at a certain point, they left them alone. They didn't do anything, there was moments of just not really messing with the Hong Kongers, not totally hoping they would just go home, but finally, they reacted to it, and they went home hard. So, overnight, due to a unanimous vote, they passed a national security law. Nobody saw what was on this law until it was passed. And the law is basically banning really everything. Like, it's really, it has become mainland China. It is banning um, contact with foreigners. That means, like, even tweeting or, like, just texting somebody. Like, you cannot talk to foreigners um, because it's considered allying with them. Um, You cannot speak out against the government. Um, you cannot criticize the government, you cannot, like, it's really just communism in a whole. Um, so, yeah. Um, 
they were supposed to be independent till 2047 and now there really is not a great chance of that and they're just in a very dark time at the moment um versus what they were promised so in the next segment we are going to answer the question who has the greatest right to a revolution Okay, Berkeley, would you like to tell the people our verdict? We have decided that Hong Kong has the greatest right to, revol- to revolution. Yes, and we will go over that. Yes, we will. We have, we have a reason, guys, I yes. promise. Um, Berkeley is going to start us off with that yes. Um, Starting with the fact that there is an immediate, more of an immediate threat of violence. Comparing the colonists and what was happening in the colonies to what's happening in Hong Kong, it's a lot more insensitive and direct to the people of Hong Kong than it is for the colonists. When it comes to the colonists, it was simply the mother country trying to make more money and just control their colony across the sea. With Hong Kong, they're specifically trying to dial the people down and trying to mute them enough so they can just run the country. So China can just run the country. Mm-hmm. Um, and w- most countries are honestly worried about the the physical and mental health of the Hong Kongers right now because of human... Uh, because of the human rights record of yeah. the Chinese Communist Party. Um, back in, it really wasn't that long ago. It was like maybe the 80s um, or before that. I'm not sure. I just read about this in World History AP. But it was about when China essentially starved like half of their population because um, they pretended like they had all this agriculture and they really just did not. Yeah. Um, and then also, if we want to get a bit technical, the... 50 years of independence promised to Hong Kong, which ends in 2047, and it is 2021, is being violated 1,000% and disregarded by Chinese officials. Mm -hmm. And you know what this violates, Berkeley? The The social contract theory. (laughs) We're quizzing everybody today. This violates Um, the social contract theory, which you know what it gives people the right to do? To revolt. To revolt. So They definitely have the right to revolt. (laughs) So, yeah. Our verdict is that given the American, given colonial America mm-hmm. and current Hong Kong, we believe Hong Kong has a great right to revolt. So, yes. We will speak to you guys some other time when something else happens. Um, see y'all later. This is Brooke Gamble and Berkeley Lukish. Thank you for listening. Signing off. Have a great day, guys.